0: Good morning. good morning all right it is good to be in the house of the lord the bible says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity and praise the lord so here's what i want you to realize based upon what scripture says there's a lot of good happening right now as we're together right because it's a good thing when brethren dwell together in unity and so today we rejoice we're so glad to have you here for those of you that don't know me i'm pastor jose And I'm the lead pastor here at Church the Bridge. And today we're going to be starting a new series. We're starting a brand new series entitled Soul Sessions. And it's all about really understanding the tool that our souls play in our lives. And how we're to draw from that for daily success. And for really walking out what God has for us. How many of you know God really does have a plan for your life? You know that, right? How many of you know God is good? right? I know that sometimes we go through some tough situations, but let me, let me encourage you with something, just, just as, a t- as a tidbit as we get started here. God's not the author of your issues. God's not the author of your problems. God's not the author of our challenges. God is the author and finisher of your faith, is what the word says. And so while in the midst of challenges, there, we, we have to understand that God has equipped us to make it through these difficult situations, to make it through life, to face it on an everyday basis in Christ with God. But the thing about it is that what happens in the soul is absolutely essential to navigating through those things. And so some of you are looking at me like deer in headlights, and you're not quite getting it, and that's all right. But as we get started here, I want to start off with a simple uh, analogy. It says, an unbeliever once went to a minister and said to him, I know that you're a man of common sense and frankness. I've read your sermons and heard all about what you have to preach, and I know that you will give a man a straightforward answer. And so I have this question for you. Do you believe that we all have a soul? And the minister replied, Yes, I do. Well, answered the man, that is an extraordinary thing for a man of your ability to think. If you go to the museums and if you look to science, you can see exactly what the component parts of a man are, such as lime, sugar, phosphorus, carbon, starch. He went on to enumerate 16, 17 other ingredients that make up a man. He says, you can see them all. You can find them all. They're even in bottles in museums. Where where then does the soul come in? Where can we find it? The minister looked at him and replied, "'Excuse me, sir, but I must decline to continue this discussion any further with you.'" The man said, "'That's just what I expected. When you cannot meet an argument, you throw up the sponge and will have nothing more to do with it.'" "'But,' said the minister, "'I am a reasonable man, and as such, I must decline to hold any argument with so many quarts of water, so much phosphorus, so much lime, and so much carbon.'" Thus, the minister answered the fool according to his folly. I share this story with you because the soul is one of the most misunderstood parts of us as human beings and as God's creation. Some say that the soul is the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being that's regarded as immortal. Immortal. Others say that it's what we regard as our personality. And yet others say that it's that which connects all living organisms on the planet earth. And there's many other opinions. But to truly understand the soul and its function and the role that it plays in our success in our walk with God and in life, we must look to God. And we must look to his word. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because he's the creator. He made us. And so if we're to understand the valuable tool that the soul is to each and every one of us as believers, we must look to God's word. Amen? Amen? That all right? Good. And so the two most commonly used words in the Bible for the word soul come out of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word nephesh. In the New Testament, it's the the Greek word uh, suche. And both of these words speak of the inner part of a man where his appetites, his desires, his emotions, and his passions are seated. It speaks of the activity of his mind, his will, and his emotions, and where they operate. So simply put, it's the faculty of the mind that drives our desires, our wants, our passions, our emotions, and it is the root from which our will is derived. In other words, it's our mind, ladies and gentlemen. It's what happens here on a consistent basis. And so what we do in the recesses of our mind really does matter. What you allow to inform your mind, how you manage the emotions that arise, how you, how you, uh, how you direct your passions and desires, all impact the direction of your life. More importantly, it impacts whether you agree or you disagree with God's word and where he's leading you. See, the truth of the matter is this, believer. How many believers do we have? If you're a believer, go ahead and wave at me nice and high. Come on, don't be ashamed of That that. Right, wow, okay, we're amongst a whole bunch of believers here today. So listen, believer, if you're a believer today, and you are, because you believe, then what you have to understand is that your belief is catching up to what your spirit already knows. And so the Bible says that he's deposited everything that you need for life and godliness. He's get, the, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. Notice that it doesn't say the mind of Jose, the mind of Jim, the mind of Annette. It doesn't say that at all. It says we have the mind of Christ. And so because we have the mind of Christ, we have to realize this, that our mind needs to catch up to the mind of Christ. This mind has to be renewed, it has to be transformed, and that can only happen according to God's word. And so, today I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Third John, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. And Third John chapter 1, verse 2 says simply this, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Just as your soul prospers. Now, interesting, if you read this one chapter in context, in the book of John, what you'll find is that John is writing to an elder. He's writing to a leader in the church. And he's commending him for the truth with which he's functioning. He's commending him for rightly understanding the truth and sticking with it. He's also uh, contrasting another leader in the Bible who's rejecting the same people that John has sent to minister into the body because he had his own ideas. And so the point that John is making here is this. He's commending this leader in the church and he's saying to him, hey, you're prospering. And he says, "And I, I pray that you continue to prosper in health and that you continue to prosper in all things. But watch how. As your soul prospers, as your mind prospers. So what we see here is this. Uh, the, the Greek word there, prosper, means to be, to, to be led by a direct and easy way. How many of you like things easy? Oh, come on now. Don't lie. Who doesn't want things to be easy, right? I don't know about you, but when, when, I'll prove it to you. You turn on your GPS when you got on when you got up this morning to get here, and you relied on that GPS. Why? Because you wanted the easiest, the quickest way to get here. You get my point? How many of you, how many of you can agree with that? We want the easy way. We want to be led in the easiest path, the, the, the path of least resistance. And so that word prosper there means that uh, we're, we're, we're led by a direct and easy way. It means that we're successful. It means that we have an excessive game. And so what we see here is that what we do in the soul as the beloved has the potential to forge a path, a direct and easy way in all things. Notice that the Bible says, I pray that you may prosper in some things. Is that what it says? In all things. Hey, by the way, that's God's will. That's not man's opinion. Oh, you must be one of those prosperity preachers. I'm just simply preaching what the word says. Amen. Prosperity is not a man idea. That's God's idea, ladies and gentlemen. God's will is that you and I prosper in all things, in all things. And so God wants us to, for, to have a direct and easy way in all things. He wants us to be successful in all things. He wants us to have excessive gain in all things. You know, that rubs pe- some people the wrong way. Because they believe that as believers, we're supposed to be these poor, pious people. Well, we serve an excessively great and amazingly good God. How dare we lessen our standard from God's? We are his children. The Bible says that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. Did you get that? That you're Royalty? Did you get that? That we serve a king? Last time I checked, the children are a reflection of the king's kingdom. And so we are meant to prosper, to be successful in all things. But that all starts with how we operate in the soul, ladies and gentlemen. How we operate in the soul. One of the best examples that we have in the Bible is of a man named David. David was a man of many mistakes throughout his life. Listen, this guy messed up royally, right? He, he, despite falling short often, right? Now, mind you, the Bible gives us clear example that David was a conspirator to murder. David was a liar. David was a man with much blood on his hands. David was a, a, a man who sought after his own ways many times uh, to, to the detriment of the people of Israel and to the detriment of his own family. His household was a wreck. His children revolted against him. He was shamed before the kingdom. And yet in the midst of all these shortcomings, David always find him, found himself blessed. He always found himself restored. And above all, he always found himself in right relationship with the Lord. But it was because of the meditation of his soul. What was going on here? Notice that God's, if you look in 1 Samuel 16, I believe it is, you'll see God's testimony of David. He says, he's a man after my own heart a man after mine own heart. As a matter of fact, this guy that many people today in the church would look at and go, that's a royal screw-up right there. Stay away from that guy. That guy right there is the guy that God anointed, not just to be king over Israel, but to be the very one through which his lineage, the Christ, was to come. God calls him a man after his heart. See, despite his mistakes, David's... Uh, his ori- the orientation of his heart, where his mind always went back to was his love for the Lord and the promises of God. And so if you're taking notes there, if you want to wrap your head around one big idea, it's simply this. That prosperity in life starts with the meditation of our soul. Say that with me. Prosperity in life starts with the meditation of our soul. Now, some of you aren't too excited about saying that. But here's what you got to start believing and receiving that God wants you to prosper in every area of your life, that God wants you to be in health in every area of your life, and that God wants you to prosper first and foremost in your soul, in your soul. How many of you know that if you put garbage in, you get garbage out? And it's sad to say this, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll be the first one to admit it because I came up this way. I I grew up in church where what I was fed was a lot of junk under the guise of the word. I was told this is what God's word said and what it was, was, was a man's opinion. Was a denomination's stance. No, ladies and gentlemen, this mind must be renewed to the word of God. This mind must function according to the word of God. And so prosperity in life starts with the meditation of our soul. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, Uh, for some of you this might be a familiar passage of scripture, but I pray that you see this uh, with a new set of eyes and that you open your heart wide to see what the word reveals here. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Let me read that again. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. The word meditate there speaks of the act of imagining. It speaks of planning by thought. It speaks of pondering. It also refers to one speaking to oneself. Hey, believe it or not, every single day, we are all meditating on something. Every last one of us. Think about it. We're always envisioning something. Some of us, we wake up and here's what we envision. It's going to be a horrible day. I am going, I I got so much to do. I don't even know how I'm going to make it. Some of us even go to the extent where we take our imagination a step further. Not only do we speak it to ourselves, but we speak it to others. We put it on social media. It's Monday, ladies and gentlemen, and it sucks. That's the meditation of this person's mind, of this soul. That's what's going on. The dangerous thing about it is this that according to Joshua 1.8, if we could put that back up, we see here that according to the meditation uh, uh, that we have going on day and night, according to that meditation is the way we make progress. Now, here's a good thing to ask yourself at this moment. What am I meditating on? What's, what's informing this mindset of mine? How's my thinking working? What's operating in my soul? And, and the reason why we have to really consider this is because prospering in all things is not God's job to do for you and I. God has done his part, ladies and gentlemen. Notice that the Bible says that then you will make your way prosperous according to what you're meditating upon, You make your way prosperous. God did his part. He gave Christ on the cross and he raised him up again. And so we have every reason to live a victorious life. We have every reason to prosper in life. The question is, are we renewing our mind according to what the word says? Are we meditating in it? See, we're responsible to bring forth to bring it forth by what we imagine, by what we plan and what we think upon and what we ponder, but also about what we tell ourselves. We are responsible for that. I remember uh, many years ago, I worked in, in, the, uh, in the criminal justice system, and, and I used to, uh, do, uh, I used to do social work, and I, I, at one time I was doing counseling with uh, men that were incarcerated in prison. And I remember meeting this young man, and I'll call him Johnny. He was about 22 years old. He had been in prison about two or three times already. Um, He was just finishing up a a one-and-a-half-year stint in prison, and he was about to be released on work release to come down and and come into a program in the community. And I remember talking with him, and, and, and I had the luxury of being able to share the Word of God in some of the most creative ways. And so I would just really listen to these guys and talk with them and challenge them with questions and where the opportunity arose, um, I would share with them if I could. But by and large, I would listen. And I remember one day in particular, after much encouragement and challenging this guy, Johnny, to consider the, the mindset that he had adopted and the process that he had going on in his own soul, one day he comes in and he had about two days before his release And he says to me, man, he came in in a cold sweat. He says, man, I've been dreaming these really vivid dreams lately. And I said, well, what's going on? He goes, no, it's freaking me out. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I'm dreaming that I'm high. See, Johnny had a heroin addiction. And his dreams were so vivid and it was so consistent in the meditation in his soul that he would go to sleep and in his dreams he was high and it was just as if he really did shoot a heroin needle. Two days before his release, I began to encourage him and I began to challenge him to really think about, Johnny, what are you thinking about? Father of a a brand newborn daughter, she was maybe three years old at the time. Um, He really wanted to get his life together and I said to Johnny, Johnny, you better be careful what you're surra- who you're surrounding yourself with, what you're feeding yourself at this time, and where you're allowing this soul of yours, this mind of yours to go. Well, a week later, two days later, he was released. I was there to pick him up that day, took him to his family, took him to see his daughter, helped him get some resources, got him into some programs. Everything was going good. A week later, his sister called me in tears. Johnny had overdosed. But you know how that started? That tragic result started? The meditation of the soul. The meditation of the soul. I want you to see something from the life of David in Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. David says, Oh God, you are my God. My soul, he says, Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water so i have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because of your loving ki- because your loving kindness is better than life my lips shall praise you thus i will bless you while i live i will lift up my hands in your name My soul shall be satisfied as with uh, marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. Now, I want you to consider something, that if we really look at what's going on here, David's not in an easy spot. He's thirsty. He's in a dry land, he says. It's a deserted place. It's a desert place. Now, we don't have clarity as to exactly everything that's going on here, but what we do know is That if any one of us was in that situation and we were thirsty, what would you go looking for? Water. And what do we find David seeking? David says, I thirst for you, O Lord. Do you see the meditation of his heart? Do you see where David's heart was? No matter what was going on around him, David longed to know the Lord, to commune with the Lord more and more. His thoughts, his internal self-talk, and what he imagined was all centered upon his desire to know God. He meditates upon the Lord, and what we find in verse 8 is this, that his soul, his mind, closely followed after the Lord. And the Bible says, he was lifted up. Isn't it interesting that two people can be in the same bad situation and one can see the very worst and one can see the very best? Do you know why? It all depends upon what we center this soul upon. So, In Psalm 77, verses 10 through 12, I just want to give you some some portions of Scripture so that you can hear the meditation of David's soul. In Psalm 77, verse 10, he says, And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. See, all that you need for life has already been deposited within you. It's within your spirit. Scripture reveals that. David was not a man without troubles in life. He wasn't. But what we see here is three things that David did regularly that made him successful in the soul in the midst of Whatever troubles surrounded him. Number one, he remembered all that God had done. He remembered all that God had done before. Now, I don't know about you, but I have certainly at some point in my life found myself in a situation. Maybe that's not where I tend to lean today, but I've been there. I can understand that. I've grown a little bit. I'm no better than anyone here, but I know that each and every one of us has been in this position. And at the very least, if not you, I have. Where I have, it's looked tough and my mind is reeling and I'm trying to get my mind set upon the word of God. But I can't get anything. The, the problem seems that big in my life. But I will tell you what I have been able to do in those times. Even when I don't know what the word says. When this mind is so racked with fear, with hurt, with whatever challenges it may perceive in its own self, I've always been able to look back and say, but God, you did this before in my life. And what we see here is that David remembered what the Lord had done before. God, you brought me out from the hand of my enemies. God, you were faithful to your word. Lord... You called me, you appointed me, you anointed me. I didn't fail then, you brought me through then. Lord, you'll bring me through again and again and again. We would do well to remember what the Lord has done before in our lives. Even when you can't see ahead and maybe you might be fearful, I encourage you, remember the God that brought you through before. Remember how God showed up before because it will do you well to see and recall that God will do it again. Yes. And so David remembered all that God had done before. Number two, he meditated upon all God's work. We see that in verse 12. Now the word work there means invention or plan in the Hebrew. An invention or a plan. And so here's literally what it, what it depicts in the Hebrew. It's the entire plan. It's everything from beginning to end. Imagine a building schematic. You see where every room is going to be. You see where the foundation is going to be. You see where every bathroom is going to be, where the roof is going to be, how much land surrounds it. You see it all from beginning to end. You see the entire plan. And here's what David meditated upon. He just didn't meditate upon the situation that was that he was facing at that moment. Notice that in verse uh, 10, he says, this is my anguish. If you read it in context, what you'll find is that David again is in a sticky situation. And yet in the midst of that situation, David meditates not just upon the situation at hand. He's not just remembering what God brought him through. He's remembering, God, you called me. God, You formed me in my mother's womb. God, you've called me by name. God, listen, this is how we should be thinking. God, your word says that you have a good plan for my life, that you have hope and future for me, that, Lord, what you started, you finished until the very day of Jesus Christ, that what your word says will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you sent it forth. God, that your word says that your promises are yes and amen to me. They're done, Lord. Your answer is yes. You've got this. And so David didn't just meditate on what God did. David meditated on everything that God said the plan was. That'll set you free. You could be in the middle of a hurricane and rest in God's entire plan. David meditated, he thought upon it, he imagined according to it. And the last thing that David did, according to verse 12, what we see is that he talked of God's deeds. That word talk there means to converse with oneself aloud. It means to declare, it means to commune intimately, it also means to pray, and so what we see is, that David not just, he didn't just remember what God had done. He didn't just meditate upon what God's plan was for his life, but David also spoke according to it. God. Your word promises me. You said you'd never leave me, you'd never forsake me. God, you've brought me this far, and you haven't brought me this far to fail. And so Father, I will continue to walk in your train of triumph because you're faithful. He declared it. He spoke it aloud. Why is that important? I'm sure many of us have heard the scripture. The power a life and death in your life and in mine is released through this tongue and what more powerful tool than the tongue aligned with a mind that is aligned with the spirit that understands the truth ladies and gentlemen a soul oriented to the truth of God's word a soul centered upon God cannot easily be shaken as a matter of fact it can't be shaken Isaiah 26, I believe verse 3 says this that he keeps in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. The key is stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Don't let your mind go here and go there. Don't, don't let yourself be led by what other people... Stay there. Where? Stay in the goodness of God, in the promises of God, in the word of God, in the faithfulness of God. Stay. Stay right there. See, what you meditate upon is what you will erect in your life. What you meditate upon is what you will erect in your life. I want to show you that in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Just going to give you some uh, context here. Well, you know, let's just read it. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 8. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plan in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. I want to point something out to you here in verse 5. If we could just put verse 5 back up. Notice that the Bible tells us that these men came up with an idea in their minds. They said, "Let's build a tower that goes all the way to the sky so that that way everyone knows who we are." They were exalting themselves. And the Bible says that they took brick and they took mortar. But what's interesting about this scripture is this, that the tower was not built yet. And verse 5 tells us that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. God did not come to see a physical tower. God was observing what they had created in their mind. See, what goes on here matters. It matters. What you meditate upon is what you will erect in your life, both good and bad. Notice that scripture says that God observed what they had built in their minds. And he says, now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So if you're meditating on nothing but negativity, I guarantee you that's what you'll build. You'll build it. And God can do nothing about it because you're responsible for what you meditate upon in your soul. We each are individually responsible for that. And so what you meditate upon is what you will erect in your life. And I propose a question to you this morning. What are you building right now? What are you building? What are you building with your soul? What are you constructing? Is it in line with God's word? Is it what God desires to prosper in your soul? Or is it for your own detriment? We're responsible for that, ladies and gentlemen. As we're closing here today, I'm reminded of a familiar story From the life of David, David's dad sends him out to see his brothers who are on a battlefield. He says, "Go out and see what your brothers are doing, and bring me back word, and take them these cheeses, take them these all this food." The Bible says that David shows up, and when he shows up there, that there's there's a tragic scene that he's faced with. All the men of war are running. They're afraid. They're cowering in fear. And the Bible says that David quickly sees why. There's a giant amongst the Philistine army named Goliath. And when David sees this, David asks an interesting question in verse uh, 26. David hears that there's some sort of reward uh, that will be given. And David says, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? and takes away the reproach of Israel. Now watch closely where David's meditation was. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know what David was conscious of right there? David's saying, this guy isn't circumcised. You know why that's important? Because David was aware of the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. And the sign of the covenant that God would fight their battles, that God was faithful unto them, that he was their God and they were his people was all uh, wrapped up. It was all evident in circumcision. And so David says, this guy isn't in covenant with God, but I am, but we are. So listen to the meditation of David's mind in his soul. And so David turns to the men, and his brother shows up and his brother, you know, shouts him out and kicks him down, you know, belittles him and all that. Comes to contradict what David knew to be true. And David turns to some other men and eventually he's brought before the king because he's saying, this guy isn't in covenant with God. He's literally saying, we got this. And so they bring him before the king, and the king, uh, he, he comes before the king, and watch what David says to the king in verse 32. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him, this giant. Your servant, in other words, I, little old me David, I'll go and fight with this Philistine. We learn a valuable lesson from David here. That meditation upon God must always precede the battles of life. Listen closely. Many times we find ourselves in difficult situations and it's then that we want to meditate upon the Word of God. And while that's useful, the Bible says this, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And one of those pieces of the armor is the shield of faith. Here's one thing about battle. You never walk into it with your shield down. It should have been up to begin with. David's meditation the whole time was this. God, I'm in covenant with you. We are your people. You love us. You've called us. You've brought us through time and time again. And you'll do it again. And so let me go against this giant. In verse 37... Well, what we find is that Saul tells him, listen, you can't win. You're just a boy. He's a man of war. He's seasoned in war. And David calls to remembrance how he defeated a lion and a bear. See what he's doing? He's remembering God how you did it before. Verse 37, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine And so Saul has this, he says, all right, well, take my arm. And David says it doesn't fit. I don't need that. I'm taking my staff. He picks up five stones and he runs out there. And the Bible says that as he's approaching Goliath, that this giant is shouting back at him. Hey, can I say something to you all? When this soul is oriented Unto God, unto God's promises, unto the covenant that's ours with God. That doesn't mean that our problems aren't going to shout back at us. That doesn't mean that fears aren't going to arise and shout back at you. That doesn't mean that even the very people that you trust and are knit to in the body of Christ, that some of them may not come and say, oh, you can't, you can't really believe that God can do that. You're in sin. You're wrong. You, you, you did this. You did that. See, there's always going to be something shouting back at you. And while David is running to this towards this giant and everybody else is running away, the Bible says that this giant shouts out at him. He says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He says, come here and I'm going to show you what a man is. I'm going to kill you. In verses 45 and 47, David says this, we're observing the meditation of David's soul. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Does that sound like somebody convinced in the covenant that he has with God? He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that we're in covenant, that we can't fail. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. This isn't in my notes but as we close here today I feel strongly impressed upon my heart by the Holy Spirit to say this to someone here today. You've been facing life And fighting your own battles. And you've been losing. And it's not because you're a loser. It's not because you were meant to lose. It's not because you have a dark cloud hovering over your life. It's not because you can't make it. You've been losing. Because your meditation has been upon your covenant with God. He fights your battles, He is your strength, He is your wisdom. He is all that you need. All that you need. All that you need is in Christ. Stop trying to fight on your own. You can't win without God. There were two mindsets operating here. There were those who said, the giant's too big. We're so small. We can't. And then there was the other soul in operation in this story that said, God I believe in what you've declared about my relationship with you. I believe that you love me. I believe that I can and I will, and so I'm going. God, I trust you. God, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm not, I'm not going back. I'm not looking back. I'm not stepping back. I'm trusting in you. I rest in you and your promises. The Bible tells us this. That David took a stone in a slingshot. And it wasn't a lucky shot. It was an anointed shot. See, David said, I'm going in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel. And so guess what he did to that rock? He gave it direction. And he looses that. And he catches Goliath right between the eyes. And then David remembers what God had anointed him to do. See, he killed him. But David also said, here's my confidence in you, God, that I'm going to take this guy's heads off. And so he looks around. He doesn't have a sword. And he picks up a sword that he's too small to pick up. But he finds the strength to pick it up because he's going in the name of the Lord and he decapitates Goliath. And then he takes this head and he parades it around the Philistine camp. And he says, this is the God that we serve. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen, where the odds were against him. The word of God and the covenant he had with God was for him. And because of it, he prospered. that prosperity all started it wasn't on the battlefield it wasn't when he fought a lion and a bear You you know where it started the meditation of his soul so Dan I leave you with this thought you're meant to prosper in life but God wants you to prosper first in your soul